G'day, humans. What's a good boy? Chris Funder here with Alex Freddie Williams for another edition of Wrestling All Style. Alex, how are you, mate? I'm feeling fantastic. Uh, slightly like nervous about what you put me through for this episode, but yeah, I'm keen to talk about it. Yeah, so we are talking Doctor Who for Outside the Ring. Have you watched much Doctor Who before? Uh, I've seen some stuff. Um, I can't even tell you who the Doctor was. I've told you in the past, but I can't remember now. Um, yeah, I've seen like four or five episodes. I find it to be like one of those fun shows to sort of watch when you got a horrible hangover. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's just like really fun. You sort of have have a giggle at it, you sort of enjoy the plot a little bit, you get a little lost into it, but you can also just, like, completely mong out. Ah, yeah, fair enough then, I suppose. Um, yeah, so the particular episode we're talking about is the debuting episode from November 23rd, 1963. It is the very first episode, An Unearthly Child. <laughs> have you watched much tv or film from this era um like i used to watch like bonanza with my dad and like and you know whenever i go home and visit the parents like dad's always watching old episodes of like hogan's heroes and stuff like that get Just, smart like, yeah get smart like yeah i'll watch some of that stuff like um yeah, on the, like, I think it's called Fox Classics on Foxtel at the moment. Yeah, like, they Dad just watches all that sort of stuff all the time. So, like, I've seen some stuff from this era, but I've... Yeah, I'm very new to Doctor Who. <laughs> this whole thing was very mind-blowing to me. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm just a little bit speechless by it all. I was watching it, and I've told you in the past, and I should probably tell the good humans, my partner Eliza, she actually at one point in her life was quite a massive Doctor Who fan. And I told, she walked past me as I was watching this on my iPad with my headphones on. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, what? She goes, has, has Tommy got you watching the first Doctor Who episode. I was like, yeah. She's like, oh, it's a, it's pretty tough to watch, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that, that that gives you Eliza's thoughts on it. <laughs> boo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, like, it's, it is tough to watch stuff from this time period in 2020 because you get used to a certain way of like presentation like quality all that sort of stuff it's a bit jarring to watch some of this stuff back sometimes and yeah as we get into it i'll talk about a few things that stood out for me um so doctor who's about a 60 year old uh british sci-fi series it stands around the doctor he's a well they're a time traveling uh, body changing alien from a planet called Gallifrey. Um, they have a time machine that's in the shape of a phone box. Um, they 
travel to different planets and do different things. Yeah, it's quite fun. Um, yeah, so I suppose the thing is, at the time, uh, British TV as well as like Australian TV at the time, I think the Australian sci-fi series was called uh, The Stranger. So a lot of TV was um, done as um, sort of still plays, so it's like live to tape. Yeah. One or two takes, and that was about it. Yeah. Um, one second here. So how many sittings did you watch this in? Because it's about 30 minutes. Uh, I actually... Um... Full disclosure, humans, I don't want to break the fourth wall too much, but you and I recorded an episode of Freddy's Ultimate Game Show, and I immediately afterwards, I monged out and watched the entire thing in one sitting. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm impressed, because I wasn't sure if you were going, oh, I don't want to watch this. Um, The... The first half of it was a real struggle for me. But uh, I don't remember characters' names as well. That's another thing that's going to be important in this review. I don't remember anyone's names off the top of my head. But a certain, uh, I guess, name of the series character shows up and I thought it was phenomenal. Fair enough, then. Um, yeah, so we'll get into the actual sort of show itself. Um, now, you're watching an online <laughs> uh, nefarious means version. I'm watching the DVD version that was released in 2006. Um, what did you think of like the opening credits here? I, I actually loved it. I thought it was really cool because it just, like, it screamed like old school like television and I, and it had a certain retro coolness to me in 2020 so i thought it was pretty cool i, I like the tune it's awesome it's it's iconic kind of so well not kind of it is um yeah, yeah it's I'll... still the same melody nearly 60 years later it's only been slightly altered yeah remastered to go with the times i guess yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, any time they recast um, the series lead, they sort of update the theme to suit the, the new uh, main series actor. Um, I suppose we can sort of explain any questions you have as we go through. <laughs> yeah, and d- don't you worry. I'm going to be asking a lot of questions, and I, I, I just have a feeling this isn't going to be the last time I'm watching Doctor Who. And did, talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> did uh, Eliza have anything else to add other than why is Hoggy making you watch this? <laughs> um, oh, she, she's just like, oh, it's so campy, but it's so good. That's why I love Doctor Who. Like, she always tells me, like, her favorite thing about Doctor Who is how, like, kind of campy it is at times. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so as we start, we see the opening theme. Um, it then pans through the fog, seeing a policeman walking around a London street at night, and a sign reveals, um, I am foreman, scrap merchant, 76 Totters Lane. 
and it slowly moves through the junkyard to show a public call police telephone box before zooming on the, in on the plaque that reads, Police telephone, free use of public, advice and assistance obtained immediately, officers and cars to uh, respond to urgent calls, pull to open. Yeah. What, what do you think of this little opening uh, sort of thing? If this is your first time watching something new, does it get you hooked? Uh, I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, maybe it was the quality of the video I was watching it on. And yeah, I did that... look back at that. It wasn't the best link I saw. Sorry. No, I ended up finding another one that wasn't mirrored. <laughs> ah, even better. Yeah, I found another one and it, I should probably state this. The link I was watching on had like, it must have been like a live countdown for the people in the audience. Okay. Yeah. So there was like a 15 second countdown to the show starting. And yeah, you just see like this image of a clock ticking down before the show starts. And then it goes into the intro. So I was like really curious by that. But, uh, like, the image quality was a bit tough to see in certain parts. And, like, these first few scenes, uh, this first the police and all that. I struggled on the sign. But, yeah, um, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I thought it was a interesting way to set things up. Fair enough. Uh, so from there it goes to the Coal Hill School as a bell is ringing to signal the end of the school day. Students walk out into the hallway and we see history teacher Barbara Wright leave her classroom and enters the science room to talk to teacher Ian Chesterton. They begin discussing a problem they're having with a 15-year-old student, Susan Foreman. And Ian reveals that he feels Susan is a genius while... While Barbara reveals she was willing to tutor Susan, tutor, tutor Susan in specialised history, specialised history at her home, but was told that would be impossible as her grandfather doesn't like strangers. Ian, feeling it's a lame excuse, as he's a doctor of some kind, and Barbara said she went to speak to Su Susan's grandfather at her home. But when Barbara goes to the address the school secretary gave her, she arrives at 76 Totters Lane, and it's just a junkyard. Their curiosity peaks. Ian says he'll help Barbara investigate, and they go next door into the history classroom where Susan is listening, listening to a wireless. Um, so yeah, you've been introduced to the two teachers here, and then Susan, who is the young student, Man, I loved the, like, very 60s, like, psychedelic hippie music, like, Susan was listening to on oh. her, like, on her wireless. Like, I loved it so much. Like John that, Smith and the Common Men. Yeah, I thought it's, I had no idea what it was, but I thought it sounded really cool. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I've got to look into that. Um because I like to go back and listen to 60s slash 70s rock, so that's, like, kind of in my wheelhouse, something I need to go check out. Um, yeah, I, I think it was at this point we start getting some close-ups with Susan. 
when yeah. she's listening to her wireless. And, you know, technology has advanced a lot since uh, 1963. Uh, whoever the cameraman was, either the camera was just ridiculously heavy or he was a little bit nervous that night because that thing was shaking a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And it, ha it happens a few times in this episode. It's just... um. It's just kind of humorous to say. It's, it yeah, doesn't the, take away from anything. It's just funny. The BBC's policy at the time, because film was so expensive for television, was you were only allowed free cuts. Whoa. Okay. So when yeah. I said they were acting as if it was a stage play live to film, they were doing that because they're only allowed free cuts. That that'd be an interesting gimmick for a show to have in like twenty twenty. Yeah, I, I can talk about that more afterwards. There. Um, so yeah, they go into the classroom. Barbara gives Susan a book on the French Revolution. Ian offers Susan a ride home as he's already giving Miss Ride a lift, but Susan declines the ride as she likes walking in the fog, saying it's mysterious. The two teachers leave, and Susan goes to grab her bag but begins to read the book and exclaims, that's not right, about the French Revolution. <laughs> as, they, as there's very little fog when the teachers arrive at 76 Totters Lane in Ian's car, Ian is trying to reassure Barbara there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for this. Barbara brings up an incident in class where Susan didn't know how many shillings were in a pound. <laughs> Where, Barb, uh, where Susan states they're on the decimal system and Barbara goes, you know perfectly well America uses a decimal system. We do not. Uh, Ian remembers a science experiment with litmus papers to show cause and effect, but Susan wanted to deal with active chemicals before Ian explains he had set a problem for class with A, B and C as the three dimensions. However, Susan states it's impossible unless she uses D and E for time and space. Uh, suddenly, Susan appears at the front gate of 76 Totters Lane. She looks over her shoulder, almost cautious she's been followed for some reason. Barbara is worried that Susan is all alone in the junkyard, but Ian adds, she's 15, you know, she might be meeting a boy. Barbara suddenly feels as if they're about to interfere in something that's best left alone. We then see in the junkyard, Susan is eating sweets while a half-head mannequin can be seen behind her. <laughs> Ian and Barbara leave the car to enter the junkyard. The door creaks and there's a general unease about the place. Suddenly, Ian trips and loses the torch in the darkness. They call out to Susan. Barbara calls out to Ian as she's found a police box. Ian questions why it's in a junkyard as they're usually positioned on the street. And as he goes to touch the door, a faint hum can be heard as if the police box has a source of power, but Ian walks around and he notices it's not connected unless it's through the floor. Suddenly, a stranger can be heard coughing in the distance, and Ian and Susan duck for cover as the junkyard gate creaks open yet again, and a white-haired old man with a black hat, cape, and scarf enters the junkyard. As he approaches the police box, he pulls out a key and torch before Susan's voice can be heard. There you are, Grandfather. As Ian and Barbara begin to ask the old man about Susan, 
he mutters that there's not that they're not the police and Barbara states that she heard Susan's voice from coming inside the police box. Ann asks the old man if he can look inside the police box, but the old man becomes distracted with an old frame in the junkyard. He then states it's none of his business to help them as Ian wants to take him to go look for a policeman. But the police box door opens and Susan can be heard calling out. Barbara rushes inside past Ian and the, and the old man. Um, yeah, what did you think up until this point? Um, so what is it? Ian and... Uh, uh, Barbara, the two Barbara. teachers. Yeah, I found them to be quite boring and just like kind of come across like kind of idiots at times. Like, like just quite frankly stating the obvious at times. Like, this is a police box. It shouldn't be in a junkyard. It should be on the street. <laughs> I, oh, really? Okay, thanks for the... Thanks for the fact check there, man. Um, I found them to be like kind of tough to get. But now we got the guy that sort of saves this episode a little bit for me. Now he's here. <laughs> Fair enough. The teachers enter and Susan begins to question them. As the old man follows behind, the two teachers look in a state of shock. Ian states there was a police box and that he walked all the way around it. As the old man tells Susan he found a replacement filament, Ian is stating it must be an illusion. So they've now entered the um the police box and it's like a lot bigger on the inside. It's like the size of a lounge room, I suppose. Yeah, it's just a house inside there. Yeah. Like a re a really like funky, like like very nineteen sixty three house inside there yeah um the old man tries to explain how police box has a similar principle to a television before laughing in Ian's face as he doesn't fully understand the old man explains that he can't let the teachers go as they'll tell everyone about the ship so susan adds that the tardis can go anywhere and tardis comes from the initials time and relative dimension in space Susan, uh, sorry, Ian asks, a thing that looks like a police box, it can move anywhere in time and space. Quite so, adds the old man, before making a comment about how when Native Americans first saw a train. Ian states they're being treated like children, and the old man says, have you ever wondered what it's like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension? Have you, to be exiles? Susan and I are cut off from our own planet without friends or protection but one day we shall get back. Um, so, yeah, what are you thinking up until this point? Like, they're sort of realising they're sort of in a spaceship now. Yeah, um, I actually, I didn't mind this stuff. Like, the old man, as you call him, um, I found I found him to be quite a compelling character the way he was talking to these people. My biggest question about this whole thing is is he is he a baby face or is he a heel here? Because 
He's holding these innocent people against their will in his ship. Uh, I suppose, to use wrestling terminology at this point, he would be a heel. Yeah, so... Um, is there, like... I guess we can talk about this first season, like, a bit later on, but is there, like, a slow progression to a full baby face turn, or is it just by the next episode is kind of a baby face? Um, by probably story number four or five. So that's, let's see, off the top of my head, that's four and seven and two. What's that, about 15? No? Yeah, so about 15 episodes in, and he sort of becomes a lot more understanding of um, everyone. Right, right. So he's actually meant to be kind of a heel here. Yeah, he's supposed yeah. to be very protective of his granddaughter. Yeah. No, that's fine then. I was a little bit confused because I thought, well, this is clearly the Doctor, right? So, like, this whole thing's about him. Why is he such a dick? <laughs> Why is he being so villainous? But if there's that progression, everything makes sense then. Nah, that actually sounds really intriguing, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so from there, Susan begs her grandfather to let him go, but he simply turns to her and says no. Susan states how much she's enjoyed the 20th century in Coal Hill School, but she's from another world at another time. The teachers have had enough of illusions and try to leave, but the doors are closed. The old man and Susan refuse to open the door. Ian tries, but the control panel is live with electricity, and Ian receives a nasty shock. If the old man lets the teachers go, they'll have to leave. But as they go towards the door, the old man pushes the button, and a wheezing noise starts as Ian and Barbara fall to the ground, and the TARDIS leaves 20th century England. Landing on sandy ground, we see a shadow appear looking towards the TARDIS, and the credits roll. Yeah, and... um... I swear to God, like, one of the, maybe a few of the episodes I've seen of, like, much later seasons, um, I swear to God, the credits looked kind of similar to this. Like, the TARDIS just, like, in a desolate sort of land as the credits sort of roll. So, maybe they sort of kept that as, like, a tribute to this? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so do you have any sort of questions, I suppose, in this for this episode or that? Yeah, so um, uh, how long is this Doctor on board for? Like, what, what is this guy's timeline? As in when he starts to when he finishes? Yeah. Yeah, um, so he starts in 1963 and he's finished by 1966. Okay, so that's a good few years there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, how was this first episode received? Uh, I'd love to go get into that. Like, I'm really glad you asked that because... About 24 hours before the 
assassination of U.S. President John F. Kennedy occurred in Texas. Oh. So the next day, whilst it was still all over the news, including the own BBC channel, <laughs> this averaged 4.4 million viewers in the UK at the time and got a full replay leading into episode two the following week. So good business there. Yeah, I suppose it was pretty good for a um a first episode given what was happening at the time. Yeah, definitely. Um it might have helped that it sort of had some of that I would assume it would have had some of that news as a lead in almost. Uh no, it would have been I suppose it would have been the lead in to the news. Oh, okay. okay. It would have aired around five o'clock um, afternoon time on a Saturday. Oh, okay. So this was, okay, this was afternoon. I sort of thought this would be evening programming, but, ah, this is... um Not initially. No, no, that's that's different. I didn't expect that, but... To be honest, that's a just whole completely different world back in 1963. So, yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah so, so this uh, this doctor, um, I thought he was really intriguing, and I loved his delivery and all that sort of stuff. I'm talking about it like I'm reviewing a wrestling promo, but, like, that's all I know how to do. So just <laughs> bear with me, humans. Like, I, I loved his delivery. I really got invested every time his, he opened his mouth. The other characters, not so much. <laughs> yeah, it does get a lot better. <laughs> not yeah. episodes two to four, though. Okay. Okay. That's why um, I said we were just doing episode one. Okay. Um, how has how this looked back upon by the, uh, as you say, the Whovians, the Doctor Who fans? Um, yeah, it's sort of ranked really high up there for a lot of people. Um, sort of, you have to sort of have seen this one to appreciate classic Who. Yeah. Uh, I think, like, a lot of that would have to be nostalgia, right? Yeah, I suppose it would be. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, I enjoyed this to a degree. Like, the first half dragged, but then we get Susan and the Doctor, which sort of saves everything for me. Yeah. Um, I suppose, do you have any other questions, or do you want me to list off some recommended episodes, or what? Yeah, let's get into some recommended episodes, actually. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay, so first Doctor, William Hartnell, I'd say um, The Aztecs is a good watch. The Aztecs is um, going back to, like, um, South America Aztec culture. They're trying to change it so they stop doing human sacrifices so that the civilization will exist when the conquistadors arrive. Um, second Doctor, which is Crowden, um, would be oh, Tomb and the Cybermen's a really good one. 
Um, Tomb of the Cybermen is basically like an Egyptology episode, but done with Cybermen, which are um, anatomic humans, like basically humanoids who've replaced their body parts with robots parts, as is Enemy of the World. Enemy of the World is a really good one. It's basically a doppelganger of the Doctor playing an evil Spanish dictator who controls the world. Right. (laughs) These sound far out on paper, but they work really well, in my opinion, for a sci-fi setting. Third Doctor, which is John Pertwee, um, my favourite one there is Inferno, which is a seven-part episode where um, he tries to time travel but gets stuck on an alternative Earth where they're drilling into the centre of the Earth and lava's going to spill out everywhere and ruin the Earth. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these are kind of 60s, 70s campy. Um but yeah, I, I think I would love it though, because I, I love watching like campy old. St- I, I love watching campy old stuff. So yeah, I, th- I think I would enjoy it actually. Um, let's see, fourth Doctor, fourth Doctor, Deadly Assassins, a good one. Has the Doctor on his home planet for the first time in a while, uh, facing a rival. Time Lord from Gallifrey. Um, Fifth Doctor. Everyone recommends Case of Androzani, which is like the classic one most fans will recommend. Uh, Yeah, and then from there, Survival, which is the last ever episode from the Seventh Doctor. Um, Yeah, that's about it, really. Yeah. Well, from classic ones anyway. Yeah, uh, how many Doctors all up has there been? I think we're on 14 at the moment, depending on how you count. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and and how how different have they gone with Doctors? I think I remember seeing that they've had a female Doctor now, haven't they? Yeah, the current uh, Doctor is a female. Yeah. Uh, have they mixed it up... In terms of like, uh, how do I say this politely? Uh, race, her- race, yeah, let's say race. Um, not so much for the doctor themselves yet, but for other time lords, which is the uh species of alien that the doctor uh actors portray for like his um main rival, they have the other various time lords they have so. Yeah, it'll only be a matter of time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it would be cool to see see those sort of things get changed. Um, yeah, I, I remember reading about a female doctor. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so the Susan is like a what they call a companion, right? Yes. Yeah, and... Uh, do you want to explain the whole companion doctor dynamic to me, like someone that still doesn't fully get it? So it's basically just their assistant. Yeah. It's um basically the role of the audience would be what the companion is. They're sort of grounded down. Most of the recent ones have been a girl from present day Earth. Yeah. So it's uh, relatable for the viewing audience at home to um, go along on the journey with. Yeah, so the companion isn't 
necessarily from that uh from where the doctor's from uh no so there have been um other members of your species who haven't been family but mm, the majority of them have been uh english humans yeah yeah very cool um i probably should have asked you at the very start of this episode yeah um, what got you into this uh i was just watching abc one night 2009 and it came on and yeah it was just something different and started watching the star the current oh well the newer series and then went back and watched a lot of the classic one yeah no it's very cool man like i've told you before like we've got um we've got coasters on our coffee table in our lounge room that are doctor who themed oh boy (laughs) Yeah, and, like, you push them all together and they make up the windows of the TARDIS. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, Eliza sort of introduced me to little bits here and there. Um, yeah, th- this was actually pretty intriguing to go back and watch. Just be thankful that I didn't choose the gunfighters. Okay, okay. Very bad one, is it? <laughs> I'm guessing Eliza hasn't made you watch much 60s ones, so, yeah, no. I'm just going to leave it at that. No, um, I think most of her knowledge is, like, late 90s onwards sort of stuff, but she has dabbled in the old, old stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to be mean and send you that link. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well... Yeah, this is this has been great. Um, yeah, it's actually nice to talk about something other than wrestling every now and then. I'm probably gonna have to pick something non-wrestling related for the next outside of the ring. Man, it, it makes me wonder. Like, let's bring it back to wrestling for a minute. Imagine if, like, they did the whole Doctor thing with a wrestling character, like. Like, they just oh, replace the wrestler every couple of years, but they continue. They are a continuation of the character, of the gimmick. Okay, so I suppose the most relatable um, relatable wrestler to that would be Suicide. Yeah. Or um, Doink. Doink had a fair few. Doink, like, bro. Yeah, Doink, bra, making kids cry, brah. Um, yeah, but like, imagine if, like, you know, they're just going to continue The Undertaker, but every 10 years they recast The Undertaker. Oh, mean Mark, you had your run. All right, we got this youngster from Texas. His name's uh, Lance Hoyt. He's going to be the new Undertaker. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I. Someone like, um, yeah, someone like a suicide at work. Anything else, I don't think it would. No, I, I just think it would be hilarious if, like, oh, if, if if it's literally a part of their gimmick is that their body completely changes. <laughs> no, I don't. 
Lucha Underground, maybe anywhere else. Yeah. I don't see that working. Yeah, Lucha Underground or Talking Shopper Mania, nothing in between. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the Claw could do it. The Claw could. Yes, the Claw definitely could. They've definitely got enough people on their roster they need to replace now. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about that soon. Oh, man. <laughs> this was really fun. Uh, where can the good humans find you, sir? Yeah, you can find me at Fruity is Alex on uh, Instagram, Twitter, all that fun stuff. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at WrestleOzStar with an A-U-S. Or you search us up on Facebook, uh, search up Wrestling Ozstyle. And don't forget to uh, give us slide into those DMs on Facebook and leave a little voice message for um, our Christmas special we've got coming up. Yeah, if not, it's just going to be us shooting the stuff. <laughs> yeah, shooting the stuff. At the very least, I'm going to force a few friends to leave some voicemails. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, where can the good humans find you, kind sir? At I am Chris Funder on Twitter, and you can listen back to the entire Wrestling Old Style archive for free on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Nothing left to say, but good day, and we'll speak to you next time. Uh, I would like to end this with a funny jab, but I feel like it should be left with a Doctor Who quote, so... Exterminate! Exterminate! This was really good fun. It sort of made me want to start up me sci-fi podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>